Well, didn't we have a great service this morning? Praise the Lord. I tell you, I, I, I was, I'm so thrilled about how God blessed that service this morning. And uh, you know, I've been praying for this for months and months. And, uh, and to see the Lord answer our prayer like that. I've been praying specifically that someone would get saved while I was here. I had no idea that the Lord was going to do that. And uh, man, I tell you, that's... Uh, that's enough to make a Presbyterian shout. Yeah, the Baptists ought to be running, you know. Amen. Well, take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I got, uh, uh, after the military, I spent 12 years in the military. I was medically retired. And uh, when I was retired, I went to Bible college. And uh, uh, my dad, he retired from the military and he asked me what I was going to do when I got out of the military, and I said, well, I'm going to be a preacher. He said, you'll starve to death. <laughs> My dad's not around anymore to, for me to show him, but I have not gone without very many meals, I promise you that. But uh, uh, I don't know why the Lord chose to bless me like he has. Uh, uh, I went to, I told you this morning, we went to Tabernacle, the, the intention was to adopt a little boy, and uh, when I got there, I got such a burden for that children's home, I asked Dr. Seidler if I could stay there and finish my college. I had two associate degrees and 44 hours from a Bible college in Florida, and uh, so I was going to just transfer everything and finish up there at Tabernacle. They transferred 16 hours. That's one semester. So I had to do uh, three and a half years at Tabernacle to get my bachelor's degree. And it uh, wasn't long after I got there, I told Dr. Sire I want to work on staff. And uh, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I'll do anything. He said, well, we don't have any jobs open. I said, well, anything that you have, I'll take it. He said, what can you do? I said, I'll stand on my head in the hallway and gargle peanut butter and stack grease BBs if you'll give me a job. And he said, oh, brother, we don't need anybody to do that. I said, I just want to work on staff. I want to get close to, uh, to the operation of the church. I'm, uh, God's called me to be a pastor. I want to see how this thing works, and I want to learn how to be a pastor. And I figured that if I could get my foot in the door, that maybe I could get close to Pastor Dr. Seitler and, and learn how to be a pastor. Well, uh, as the Lord would have it, I went to work at a transmission shop. I was a track vehicle mechanic in the Army. And uh, so Doc Sider called Mr. Essinger. He owned, a, uh, uh, he owned a transmission shop in Easley. And uh, he said, Brother Paul, he said, I got one of the Bible college students here. I'm going to send him down there. You give him a job. So, uh, so I went down to the transmission shop. And uh, he said, you're the guy that Doc Sider sent. I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, here's what you're going to be doing. He gave me a job. I worked for one month, and a job came open on staff at Tabernacle. They called me, and I said, I'll take it. He said, well, you don't know what we're doing, what you'll be doing. I said, I don't care. I'll take the job. He said, wait a minute. You don't know what they're going to pay. I said, it doesn't matter. I, I believe that God wants me to work on staff. So I took a job as a janitor on staff at Tabernacle. About a month later... Uh, Dr. Sire called me in and said that they had to uh, let the director of the daycare 
uh, go, and they wanted me to take over as the director of the daycare. Well, my burden was for the children's home, not the daycare. And uh, so anyway, I figured if Doc Slyer wanted me to do that, that's what I'd do. So I went and I became the director of the daycare. Uh, that means I pushed the kids on the swing when they got off from school, and I mopped the floor when all the ladies got done. That's all. I never changed the diaper to this day. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I did change both the girls once, so I could say I did. I hooked one side on one of them, and I didn't hook the other side so that when they crawled across the floor, it would come off. And Jane said, don't you ever do that again. I said, okay, I won't. <laughs> but uh, I was the director of the daycare, and uh, Doc Slyer knew that I wanted to work at the home. A position came open. Buzzy and Donna were working at the home, and they left, and I went to Dr. Slyer, and I said, uh, Pastor, I'd like to have that position that Buzzy had, and uh, we could move in their house and all that, and uh, we were living in a one-bedroom cottage behind one of the staff houses in the woods. And uh, I closed in the carport and made a bedroom out of it for my girls, and it was sufficient. We were okay, and uh, I told Doc Sire, I'd like to, to take that job, and he said, oh, brother, you're doing such a good job at the daycare. Believe it be God's will, you just stay right there. And I'm thinking... So I got a diaper my way through Bible college. And remember how many diapers I've changed. Uh, but uh, I don't know, I got a little discouraged. And, uh, but I was, I was on the church staff, and I went from being a janitor to now I'm a director of a ministry on staff, and I got to go to the staff meetings, and the, uh, he would have all the directors of ministries come in, and probably 13, 14 different ministries there at the church, and I'd get to sit in on those meetings see how they did it. Doc Slyer called me down at the daycare. He said, Mr. Nostan, I need you to come to my office. So I jumped in the bus and went up there, and, and uh, Mr. Sims, who was the director of the children's home, was sitting in the office. And he said, Brother Sims has taken a church in Anniston, Alabama, and we've been praying about it and talking about it. We believe, we believe it'd be God's will for you to be the new director of the children's home. I said, Pastor, I don't know if I can handle that. He said, tell me, brothers, Philippians 4.13 still in the book. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. I said, yes, sir. And I felt like crawling under his desk. And he said, uh, I, he said I believe it, it's the Lord's will. And I said, Pastor, I just don't know if I can handle it. And uh, I said, I have a hard enough time raising my own two girls, much less 50 kids, you know. And, and uh, he said, if you thought you could do it, you would not be the man for the job. But because you know you can't handle it, you'll depend on the Holy Ghost of God to help you there. And I said, the Holy Ghost of God will have to do it. I don't know anything about being a director of a children's home. And, and he said, you'll do fine. You'll do fine. Well, that moved me up a little bit and put me on the pastoral staff. And now I'm working directly with Dr. Seitler on a daily basis. Uh, there was uh, uh, many, many days that Dr. Seitler would call me into his office and we would sit and talk, uh, sometimes for hours. He called me in one day, and he, he said, uh, come on in, brother. I come in, and he had a, a couch and two or three chairs, and he had a rocking chair right beside of his desk. And I got ready to sit down, and he said, no, brother, come up here. And I, he wanted me to sit in a rocking chair. So I sat in a rocking chair right beside Dr. Seitler. And I sat there for a few minutes, and uh, he never said anything to me. And I said, Pastor, did you need something? He said, oh, no, brother, I just wanted somebody to sit here while I'm working on my commentary on 1 Corinthians. 
He's writing a commentary. He just wanted me to sit in the office with him. And uh, uh, man, I, I got the opportunity as a young preacher. I was 31, 32 years old. I spent 12 years in the military. And now here I am thrust into this ministry. And, uh, uh, and this is exactly what I wanted. I want to learn how this church operates. I, I want to learn why, why does this church run 1,200 uh, why is it, you know, what, what does he do to, that, that makes this church grow like that? And, and I became a student of church growth. And I started studying uh, churches that were growing, Highland Park Baptist Church and, and uh, Forest Hills Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia. And, and I started studying these churches, uh, 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 Emmanuel Baptist Church up in Pontiac, Michigan, uh, Dr. Tom Malone was the pastor up there, and I started studying these churches and what do they do to grow? And and I bought these books, you know, uh, uh, Elmer Towns, the hundred fastest growing Sunday schools in America, and the hundred fastest growing churches in America. And I started reading all these books about how churches grow and all. Now I'm pastoring. I left Tabernacle and I took a church that had three ladies in it. Me and Jane. And our two girls and three ladies. They called a man that used to go to that church and told him we have a pastor now. And he started coming. So there's eight of us. And, uh, you know, I just left a church that runs 12 or 1,500 on Sunday morning. And uh, it ain't like it was a tabernacle. There's not a uh, hundred ministries going on. There's no radio station. Uh, people don't shout when you get up, you know. And, and uh, I preach and... And nobody would respond, and, and it's like, wait a minute, this is, this is not the way I learned it. And I'm reading these books about church growth and trying to figure out what is it that's going to make this church grow. I'll go to the S.W.O.R.D. conference. I go to all these conferences, and, and uh, I try to learn everything I can about building a church. And I spent two years struggling at that church. I'd build it up to about 30 or 40, and then I'd... I'd preach something stupid like, uh, I don't know, I'd preach against ankle bracelets or something like that, and everybody get mad and leave, you know. Uh, I'd build it back up to 30 or 40, and I'd preach against the Easter Bunny. and I don't, You know, I don't know. It's like I'd, I'd build it up and blow them out, and build it up and blow them out. And uh, this is just not the, I don't know, I'd listen to these great preachers, and they would go down through this list of everything they're against. And I wrote down everything they're against. And on Sundays, I'd preach and, and I'd hit everything. Boy, I want to make sure I hit, a, you know, preach against football on Sundays and all that, you know. And, and, uh, and in Kentucky, you don't preach against tobacco, but I did, you know. And uh, in Kentucky, especially where we're from, you don't preach against NASCAR, but I did, you know. And uh, uh, so I'd build the church up and then blow them all out. On Easter Sunday... After I'd been there for two years, counting my wife and my two girls, we had 13 after two years. Now, I thought people would show up just because I worked for Dr. Seiler. I mean, good night. I preached at Tabernacle. Nobody in Kentucky knew Dr. Seiler. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know anything about that church there. And they sure didn't know anything about me. And God humbled me. And I said, we're going to have a revival. Start Monday night after Easter, Monday through Friday. I invited a different church in the area to come each night with their choir and sing. 
That way we'd at least have the choir, a crowd, maybe 20 people in our church that night. And so every night we had a little group come that was saying, this thing keeps falling off. Oh, well. Uh, well, on Friday night, that man I told you that used to come and uh, he started coming back, he worked at what we called the Opportunity Center. There's a lot of uh, uh, mentally retarded people worked there, handicapped people worked there. My brother was mentally retarded, and uh, he worked at the Opportunity Center, made a dollar an hour. And, uh, but anyway, he worked there, and he invited two young men to come to ch- revival on Friday night, and they came. And when the preacher gave the invitation... Those two men come forward to get saved, much like what happened this morning. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I didn't know what to do, you know? Uh, I've been preaching, and, and uh, I've been trying to knock on doors, and, and I, I'd quit doing all that. I quit knocking doors. I quit studying. I quit reading my Bible. I'd quit all that. Well, nothing's working. And when them boys come forward... I went to the altar, and I said, Lord, I have made a mess of this thing. If, if, you'll, if you'll help me, I'll get out there, and I'll start reading my Bible. I'll start studying again. I'll stop getting my messages out of the sword of the Lord, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this thing right if you'll help me. The next day, I went out door knocking. Hadn't been out in a long time. Had a couple people saved while I was out door knocking. I went back out the next day, and the next, and the next. And I started taking my son-in-law, who was not my son-in-law. He tricked me. Let me come and preach for you this summer. Sure, come on. I didn't know that he liked my daughter. I'm a little naive, you know. I thought he was there for the ministry. Yeah, he was trying to start his own ministry is what he was doing. But anyway, uh, he started coming, and we started going door knocking. We're seeing people saved. In four months, we had 111 people trust Christ as their Savior. I baptized 72 people in four months. We went from 13 on Easter Sunday to 148 four months later. Unbelievable what God did. This was revival. You read about these things in the, in the books, you know, about the Welsh revival and all that. And I thought there, there, is, there has to be a secret to building these churches. And I pastored there for five years and I moved from there to DuPont, Indiana, a town of 300, 17 miles from Walmart, out in the middle of a cornfield. There's 100 people that live in the town. The other 200 live on farms outside of the town. There were 30 people in the church. How in the world are you going to build a church out in the middle of nowhere? I was studying these things. Listen, I have become a student of church growth, and I wanted to learn what is it going to take to get the church growing and and get people uh, where they'll, you know, I mean, I could probably bring, with my own efforts, I could bring in 10, 15, 20 people a year into the church, but my kind of preaching, I could run off 10, 15, or 20 people a year. Amen. Somebody say amen. Go ahead. And, uh, uh, you know, I found out some people don't like the King James Bible. That was a shock to me. Some people don't like the old-fashioned singing. Some people don't like all that stuff. 
And they would come and visit the church, and then they'd leave. And they wouldn't come back. And I said, there has to be something that will help. The only way to get the church to grow was for me to teach my people how to bring people to church. Because I run off everybody that I brought, and I run off most of the folks you brought. So I've got to teach people how to, how to bring people to church, how to invite your neighbors, all that kind of stuff. In order for the church to grow, we've got to get more visitors to come. You could be the greatest. I tell these boys at Tabernacle, I've been the, uh, at the Bible college there for a while, and I tell those boys, you could be the greatest preacher in the world if nobody comes to hear you preach. What difference does it make? You pastor a church running 20 or 30, and 30 years later, you're still running 20 or 30. Why does that happen? Maybe you are a great preacher, but if you're not reaching people out there, they are not going to come and hear you preach. So we got to figure out a way to get them to come. Well, during the course of all this, I've been pastoring now, pastored for 30 years. The last church I pastored, my first Sunday there, we had 100. One year later, we had 311. Exciting to see the churches grow like that. We have 15, 20, sometimes 30 visitors on a Sunday. Every week. It's just amazing. How does God do that? Well, during the course of all that, I learned some things. That I, I have a burden to share these things with churches all around the country. What is it going to take to get your church growing? And I'm not, listen, I love, I love this church. I wish every church in America was like this one. But they're not. And I go in so many churches that I went in one church, the auditorium, see four or five hundred, there's 25 people in there. What happened? What happened to all the people that used to be in this church? And the pastors don't have any idea. What can you do to help me, Brother Dave? I've been asked to go to churches all around and try to give them some, uh, some advice about how to get their church going again. You know, they say, well, Brother Dave, it's easier to give birth than it is to raise the dead. Well, I've never given birth and I've never raised the dead, so I don't know either. But I have seen the Lord raise the dead. And I feel like if I could get the Lord involved in what we were doing, He would raise those dead churches. So, with that in mind, I want to read one verse out of Ephesians chapter 5. And then I want to give you... I've got four things listed here. I could make, I could probably list 40, but I've got four things that will help your church to grow. And uh, as I told you this morning, Brother Weems and I have not talked about this. He didn't have any idea. I didn't tell him what I was going to preach. Uh, he left that up to me and the Lord. And I have prayed much, like I did for the message this morning. I prayed much about what to preach tonight. And this is the direction the Lord has led me. Ephesians chapter 5, look at with me at verse number 27. Ephesians 5, verse number 27. The Bible says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. Now we're talking about the church. This is what the Lord wants in his church. How are we going to get that? How are we going to have... A church, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And it should be holy and without blemish. How are we going to get that? Well, I have four things that I want to give you tonight. 
that I really believe, and I've seen it happen over and over and over. Churches I've pastored, I've got nine boys right now that are pastoring churches that were my preacher boys. Some of them I led to the Lord. And some of them I went through exactly the same thing with them that I'm going to give you tonight. And they applied this in their church, and they're seeing growth in their church. It's amazing what God did and what God is doing. And I believe he'll do it here. I believe he'll do it down the road. I believe he'll do it anywhere that, that we are willing to do what God wants us to do to see people saved and to see our church grow. So let me give you these things real quick. Number one, be fervent in spirit. And we talked about that a little bit this morning. Be fervent in spirit. The Bible says, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Some people, and you got to say amen here, some people lack spiritual zeal. Get excited about the ball game, but they don't have any zeal. There's no spiritual zeal in our churches anymore. We hear very few amens, very little shouting. Used to be that was a common thing in our churches. But we have very little of that anymore. We don't have the, the fervency in our spirit that we used to have. We don't have the spiritual zeal. We need a quickening of the Holy Spirit. We need, listen, we need folks in our churches to get excited once again about being saved. I tell you, what happened this morning has got me so fired up, I can't hardly stand it. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to go look for somebody else to witness to tomorrow. That was fun. Amen. I still haven't got, I don't aim to get over it. Listen, fervent in spirit. I remember a day when God touched my heart, and I, I remember how excited I was. I told you this morning, I went back to church the next week. I sat in my assigned seat, and a preacher said something about not going to hell, and I got excited. Whoopee! Yay! I had not been to Bible college. I didn't know you're supposed to say praise the Lord. I, I, I didn't know Hallelujah. I didn't know all that, but I had been to ball games, and I know what I felt like when I hit a home run, and I felt better when the preacher said, you're not going to have to go to hell if you trust Jesus. I felt better than I did when I hit a home run, and I want some of that. I want it back. I want that fervency of spirit. I want God to stir my heart and stir my spirit and stir the churches that I get an opportunity to preach in. I would like to see God stir you up here in this church. Why? Because, listen, it, fervency of spirit is contagious. If you get close to a fire, you will warm up. Amen. How many of you, how many of you grew up in a home that had a coal uh, uh, heater in the living room? Or stand in front of that thing and the whole front, you could get toasty. But the, your backside will just absolutely freeze. So you turn a little bit. And when you turn, the other side gets frozen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I'm going to tell you, the side that's closest to the heat is going to get fired up. I decided that any church that I'm part of, and right now I'm a member of a church. I'm not the pastor of the church. But I'm going to be fervent in spirit. Why? Because I know it's contagious. And I know if people get close to me, they're going to get excited. And if I'll get excited and I'll stay excited, then people that get around me will be excited. Why? Because fervency in spirit. I do not want to go to a dead church. You said something about being, being dry. 
Most churches, and I go, I've been in several of them, most churches are as dead as last year's bird's nest. Amen. They're dry as saltine crackers. You put about 10 of them in your mouth and try to whistle after you chew them up. Huh? And I tell you, most churches are that way. And you get in there and you talk about somebody getting saved and you can't get a holy grunt out of folks. They're not excited about what God's doing. There's no excitement in the church. Why? Because they haven't seen anybody saved in years. You saw two, two young men get saved this morning. That ought to fire you up. There ought to be something inside you that says, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. We used to see that every week. We used to see it often, and now it's, a, it's an anomaly now for somebody to be saved in our churches. It used to be that almost every week we had people getting saved. Fervency in spirit. We must be a glow for God. People get around you, they ought to say, you know what they used to say about me? Holy Joe. My name's Joseph David. I was in the military, so I was G.I. Joe until they realized that I was a Christian, and all of a sudden I became Holy Joe. Yeah. And there's one of those deals where you can't, if you hang around Sergeant Offsinger very long, he's going to talk to you about the Bible. Well, I'm either going to talk to you about the Bible or my wife, and those are the two things that I love. Amen? You talk about what you love, and I tell you, we ought to be a glow for God. We ought to be, we ought to be one of those people that people say, Oh, there's, there's brother so-and-so. You better be careful what you say around him. Yeah. You remember when people used to do that? So, be fervent in spirit. Number two, be friendly in speech. Be friendly in speech. The Bible says, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I go in churches all around the country, and the pastor will say, we got a friendly church. And I watch. And their folks are friendly to each other. They're friendly to the people they know. But they're not very friendly to people that they don't know. And I'm telling you, if we, if we want our churches to grow, we've got to act like we're glad that visitors come to our church. We've got to act like we're excited that folks showed up at our church. We ought, we ought to make them feel welcome when they come to our church. I, went, I took that church up in Indiana, 30 people in the church. The women were not allowed to speak in the auditorium. I mean, they couldn't say hi to each other. Women, let the women keep silent in the church. Way out of context, but that's what he taught the people. And uh, I told Jan, I said, we got to fix this. So I told the piano player... Her name was Carrie. I said, uh, folks, Carrie's going to play through that song one more time. I want you to get around and shake hands with each other. So Carrie played it through. And me and Jane and Holly Beth, Nikki was already married, me and Jane and Holly Beth walked around and shook hands with everybody. Everybody else just stood there. So guess what we did? Well, we canned that. No, we did it again Sunday night. And then we did it again Wednesday night. And we did it again the next Sunday. And the next thing you know, people are reaching across the aisle, shaking hands. People are turning around, shaking hands with somebody. Next thing you know, somebody got out of their pew, walked over and shook hands. After about a month of that, folks were milling around, shaking hands. 
We'd have to, we'd have to whistle or call, call the church to order to get them to come back and sit down. I had a man visit the church one time. He, he, he came for a while, and then he stopped coming. I went to visit him. I said, what's the matter? He said, I love your church. I love your preaching. He said, but I tell you, all do that handshaking thing, and, and I stand up, and there's like 200 people coming right towards me. And uh, he said, I just, it uh, freaks me out. I don't, and I said, well, let me tell you what to do. When I say, all right, folks, we're going to play through that song. Once you get around, shake hands. You get up and go to the men's bathroom. And you just stay in there until we get done, and you come back. And he did that for a while, and next thing you know, he's back in the services, and I see him shaking hands with people. You know what? People got friendly in our church. And they were friendly not only to each other, but they were friendly to visitors. We'd have visitors come in, they'd get attacked. It's like, uh, man, I walked in this church, and there was 15 people came and shook my hand. Well, I'm going to tell you, in most Baptist churches, that does not happen. It does not happen. Friendly in speech. Church members are all, uh, often very, I don't know, kind of cliquish. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. People sit in the same seats. They talk to the same people. Every Sunday you shake hands with the same people. You don't speak to anybody on the other side of the church. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, maybe y'all don't have any of that here. Buddy, they had that at Tabernacle. Matter of fact, they had an amen section over here, and they had another one over there. There was a guy that sat on this side and looked across at a guy that sat on that side. They would not speak to each other. They have handshaking, and these guys would watch and see which direction the other fellow went, and they'd go the other way just to avoid each other. And one of them was a good friend of mine. I said, what are you doing? He said, I, I made up my mind. I'm never going to talk to that man again. I'm like, what are you going to do in heaven, man? That guy's going to be living with you for eternity in heaven. You can't get along here. Imagine. You know what? We need to learn to be friendly. Friendly. Fervent in spirit. Friendly in speech. We must exhibit a warmth and friendliness. This helps people feel welcome and they want to return. Remember that, that verse that says, Be ye kind one to another? You know, I don't like everybody. But I love everybody, and uh, I don't think there's anybody that I've avoided in the church to shake their hand. I had a guy borrowed $300 from me one time. I was a pastor. He needed to fix his car, so I gave him $300 to fix his car. About two or three weeks later, he was supposed to give me some money every Friday. Well, he didn't do that. So I saw him at Walmart about three or four weeks. <laughs> he hadn't been to church. I saw him all the way down to the other aisle, into the aisle. He saw me. When he did, he cut the other way. So I snuck over there. <laughs> looked down. There he was. And when he saw me, he cut back the other way. So I ran down the aisle. And I popped out right there, right in front of me. I was having fun. It was a cat and mouse game to me. He didn't like it. You know what it was? Because he knew that he owed me that money, it caused him to stop coming to church. You know what I told him? I said, keep the money. Don't worry about it. I want you to be in church. I want you to be there. We're, listen, we had a friendship before this. I decided after that guy, I'll never loan money to anybody else. I don't loan money. If you have it and I, uh, if you need it and I have it, I give it to you. And I, and I usually say that. People come to me and say, hey, bro, Dave, I need 20 bucks. Well, 
Just so you know, I don't have it, okay? So <laughs> I'm retired, okay? <laughs> Be friendly in speech. So fervent in spirit, friendly in speech. Here's another one. Faithful in service. Faithful in service. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, uh, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Faithful unto death. We got a fellow at our church that decided that he don't want to come to church anymore on Sunday night. One time on Sunday is enough. He comes on Wednesday, but one time is enough. And I told him the other day, matter of fact, last Sunday, I said, uh, I was taught you need three to thrive. I eat three meals a day. Amen. Brother, Brother Weems only eats one meal a day. I don't know how he does it. I went on a diet in January, wasn't getting enough to eat, so I went on another one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to break the first diet, so I just added another diet to it, you know. I told him, I said, you need three to thrive. That's what Dr. Lee Robertson said. Dr. Lee Robertson pastored one of the largest churches in America, and, uh, and every week he said, three to thrive, three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You need to be in three services a week. You will not grow if you don't feed yourself on the Word of God. You need to grow spiritually, and it won't happen if you're not in the Bible. You need to be preached to. You need to be taught three times a week. I found out that if I got my people to come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night, they would grow. They would grow. Our church grew. Faithful in service. Many Christians are not dependable in their church work. Hey, listen, I may not be the best, at, but I can be available, and I want people to know I'm dependable. I'll be there. If I tell you I'll be there, I'll be there. Amen? Yeah. I told you this morning about that fellow that invited me to Sunday school. I didn't want to go. I told my dad, I told dad, I don't want to go. I stayed up at night. I drank stuff out of the refrigerator, like pickle juice, and mayonnaise, and yeah, I know, that's ooh, I was trying to get myself sick, mustard, <laughs> nasty, it's like I had a cast iron stomach, I could not get sick, whatever it was, when I grew up, my dad, here's the philosophy that I grew up under, you're either bleeding or puking, or you're going to school, and I couldn't do either, I'm not going to cut myself, I mean, come on. I don't like pain. So I tried to make myself sick, and I couldn't. Dad comes in and says, son, get up. It's time to go to Sunday school. I said, I don't want to go. He said, you're a North singer. You told that man you were going to Sunday school with him. Now you get out of that bed and get dressed. You're going to Sunday school. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I'm so thankful I did. Because that day that I went to Sunday school, I heard the gospel and I trusted Christ as my Savior. You know what? From that day on, I made up my mind that I'm going to be dependable. I'm an off singer. But more than that, I'm a child of God. Yes, man. Amen. And I want God to know that he can count on me. I will read my Bible, whether I like it or not. I will go soul winning, whether I like it or not. I will be uh, on my knees in prayer, whether I like it or not. And I will be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Amen. 
I made that decision 40 years ago. I don't have to decide every week where I'm going to be on Sunday night. I don't have to decide every week where I'm, whether I'm going to church or not on Wednesday. I made that decision all those years ago. I don't have to make it anymore. Amen. I could walk into just about any church that I've preached in in America and say, tell me, where will Brother Dave be on Wednesday night in 2029? Where do you think I'll be? See, even you know. I made up my mind a long time ago, and everybody knows it. I do not have to decide every week where I'm, whether I'm going to church or not. Faithful in service. Dedicated, diligent, dependable Christians cause the church to move forward and to grow. People, you invite people to come to church, and some of them show up, and you're not there. God forbid... God forbid that I invite a bunch of people to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, pass out track. Be like a bunny in the snow. Leave tracks everywhere you go. I leave tracks everywhere. And people come to church and say, where's that fellow gave me that track? Oh, he's not here tonight. He don't normally come on Sunday nights. He don't nor- he's not normally here on Wednesday night. God forbid that ever be said about Brother Dave. Faithful in service. Let me give you one more. This is my last one. I'm looking for... There you go. There you go. I had a man in my church. Every time I said it in my last point, he'd say, Amen. I'm like, that is not the right time to do that. You know, Paul said, and finally, brethren, and he preached... He did two more chapters after that. Yeah. Fervent in spirit. Friendly in speech. Faithful in service. And fruitful in soul winning. I found out a long time ago, if I could get my people out on visitation, the number of people I have involved in outreach in my church, if they'll be consistent at it for a year, I can multiply that number by 10, and that's about how many people I'll be running in a year. So you know what I tried to do? Just get one more person out door knocking. Just get one more person to make, go on visitation. Just get one more person out soul winning. Just get one more person to pass out tracts. Why? Because I know that God will bless that and we'll see growth because people are doing what God wants them to do. Reach people with the gospel. I suggest all kinds of ways to pass out tracts. You know, I, I heard about Carl Hatch, I don't know if y'all have heard of him. Carl Hatch would walk, walk in a men's bathroom and he'd see legs and he'd just stick a track up under there. Here, read that. I've never been that bold. <laughs> pull the toilet paper out, stick a track in it, roll it up. Pull, stick another track, roll it up. I've never been that bold. How many of you have ever bought a house? How many of you ever got uh, envelopes there where they want you to uh, fill out an application for a credit card because you just bought a house and they know you got credit and uh, so now you're getting all these pre-approved credit applications. Yeah, they come with a self-addressed stamped envelope. You don't even have to put a stamp on it. So here's what I do. I just take, I open it, take all the guts and throw them away and I take that envelope and stick a track in it. I lick it and stick it back in the mailbox and they pay the postage for me to send them a track. <laughs> yeah. You say, oh, nobody ever read that. Well, that's not true. At DuPont, 
I got a track. I got a letter in the mail. I really shouldn't tell you what was on the... But he took my track and wrote all over, don't send me any more of these. (laughs) He'd gotten several from our folks. Hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice when you're out knocking on doors if you saw no Jehovah Witness or Independent Baptist from First Baptist Church of Atoka? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if when the history of Atoka, Tennessee was written, they could not write it without coming and interviewing your pastor because you had such an impact in this area? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? I want my church to have such an impact in the area that it's at that a, a, an accurate history of our area could not be written without them coming and talking to me about what we've done in that church, in that area. Folks, if you want your church to grow, you need to be fervent in spirit. Can I get amen? amen. That's almost fervent. Fervent in spirit. Friendly in speech. Well, I'm an I'm a introvert. Well, you know, God can help you with that. Amen. You say, well, I'm an introvert. My wife was an introvert. You know what I did? You know what God did to her? Married a pastor. That's right. It's take, it's, we've been married 45 years, and she's still kind of an introvert. But she does talk to people now. Because she has to. <laughs> fervent in speech. I mean, fervent in spirit, friendly in speech. Faithful in service. I want to be found faithful. Yes. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want the bake to be faithful with the money I give him. And I know God wants me to be faithful with the service that he gives me to do for him. Yes. I want to be found faithful. And then fruitful in soul winning. If you don't tell people about Jesus, they will not hear. Amen. You have your own world that you have to reach with the gospel. The Bible tells us in Matthew to go to every nation. The word nation there is a word that comes from a Greek word that we get the word ethnic from. Ethnos. We're supposed to take the gospel to every ethnic group. And by the way, there's a lot of different ethnic groups around us. My wife and I live in Pigeon Forge, and there is a mil- more than a million visitors a month that come to the Smoky Mountains. A million a month, and they come from everywhere. And there is every kind of, uh, every ethnic group that you can imagine is there. All nations. We're supposed to take the gospel to every different ethnic group in the world. And then the Bible says that we're supposed to take the, the gospel to all the earth. The earth. That's the red dirt that you step on. We're supposed to take the gospel to every spot of dirt in the world. We have a responsibility to do that. And then the Bible says that we're supposed to preach the gospel to all the world. To the world. That word world there is the word cosmos or cosmos. It's your world. And your world is different than my world. You don't go to the same barber I go to. You don't go get your gas at the same gas station. I, you don't even go to the same Walmart I go to. You don't, go to. you don't meet the same people on the street that I meet on the street. Your world is different from my world. I will never be able to reach the people in your world. And you will never be able to reach the people in my world. 
I'm responsible for my world, and you're responsible for your world. Amen? You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to take the gospel to every ethnic group, every spot of dirt, to everybody in our world. And I believe if we do that, we'll see some growth in our church. If not numerical growth, you know, I can witness to a million people a month that will never come to our church, but they'll go home with the gospel. They'll take it home with them and possibly get in a good church somewhere where God can use them to reach other people in their, in their world. Isn't that, the, isn't that what we're here for? Amen. Let's all stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed.